Welcome to the Dare to Multiply podcast. On this podcast, we help passionate Jesus followers become courageous, obedient disciples who impact their communities for the kingdom of God. I'm your host, Cynthia Anderson, a disciple multiplication coach and trainer. I'm going to show you how to make and multiply disciples in your area. God's got great things ahead for you. Let's dare to multiply. What in the world is a death factor in a disciple-making movement or disciple multiplication? What do we mean by that term, death factor? There are actually some things that once you've worked so hard to get multiplication to, to start and first and second generation is starting to kick off, there are some things that we can do um, often unknowingly and in good heart that actually kill movements. We call them death factors. And I'm going to talk about those today on the episode. We'll be right back with that in just a minute. Are you busy but not seeing the fruit you long for? Dissatisfied with your present level of impact on those around you? Or frustrated with traditional methods of discipleship that don't seem to be effective? If so, the Getting Started in Disciple-Making Movements course may be just what you need. Inside the Getting Started program, you'll get access to a step-by-step proven approach to making and multiplying disciples. Not only will you receive 25 short and practical video teachings spread out over six modules, but you'll have a chance to connect with others for group coaching via our monthly Zoom calls And even more importantly, you'll become part of a global community of like-minded people from all over the world who are passionately committed to following Jesus and impacting others around them. If you want to get unstuck and begin moving forward as a disciple who makes disciples, I encourage you to go to courses.dmmsfrontiermissions.com and sign up for this powerful program today. And now to today's episode. All right, let's dive into this important topic. We're talking about death factors. What are those things that actually can kill a movement that begins when multiplication starts and things are moving forward and you're seeing generational growth and disciples are making disciples? It's so exciting. What are those death factors? What are those things that actually can stop a movement or cause a movement to plateau. This is so important. And I'm not going to be able to describe all of these different what we would call death factors, but we want to know what they are because we want to avoid doing these things. Okay. And uh, this is something I've written about on my blog, dmmsfrontiermissions.com slash blog. That's where you can go. You can look up this article that I'm drawing from as I talk about this today on the podcast, but um, lots of other great articles there as well. I would encourage you to subscribe to that. We send that out every week with different content and things that you can um, learn about. And I also, before I dive into this a little further, I want to ask you, if you are enjoying this podcast, if it's something that has blessed you, you've been following it and learning from it regularly, I want to encourage you, would you please take a minute or two and review and rate this podcast? If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, 
this makes a huge difference on whether or not people find out about Dare to Multiply and this podcast, which you, many of you have said to me, this is gold. This has helped me so much. And I'm so encouraged when I hear those things. So I just want to ask you, would you take a minute to rate and review this podcast? All right, let's dive in. What is the death factor and why, uh, why do we need to know about these things and what are they exactly? How can we avoid these mistakes that people make that kill movements or even if they don't kill them, they may cause it to stop growing and to plateau. So a death factor is something that uh, is a common mistake that will actually plateau or it will, it will slow down radically the multiplication that's begun to happen, the organic growth that you have been working so hard and praying so much to see take off. So one of them is bringing outside funding into the movement. In Acts 20, 34 to 35, it says, Paul writes this, right? Or Paul says this, he says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we see that the Apostle Paul, he went the extra mile. Now that's not to say that everyone has to be a tent maker and that there's, you know, that it's wrong for there to be people who are supported. Myself and my husband, we are supported by the gifts of people who support us to do the work of the ministry, right? And so there's nothing wrong with that. Or even as the movement grows, having the, the elders and leaders of the movement, the trainers in the movement be supported and funded from inside the movement right? Or if the movement is sending out apostolic teams to new areas as missionaries, as those who would go cross-culturally or those that would go to new areas, for those people to be funded is not wrong. But what will kill a movement is when you bring outside funding into the movement too early. And especially when you pay people in the movement to do the work of the ministry, instead of seeing ordinary people in the midst of their normal work doing evangelism and doing the work of the ministry. You want to avoid, like the plague, the impression that it's only the responsibility of professionals, paid professionals, to do evangelism and start new groups of disciples, right? We want to avoid that with everything we can. And we want to deeply communicate that though we do have a few people who are paid because those people need to, you know, work full time and they, they have to provide for their families and they are helping all of us to be trained and to learn and grow. We want to do everything we can to avoid the impression that only paid professionals have time to make disciples. And only paid professionals are the ones who are going to do the work of the ministry. And what happens when we start to pay people in the movement to be evangelists, to be the, the church planners, is that other people get the impression that that's their job. It's not my job. Right. Have you seen that before? Yes, I'm sure you have. And that reinforces this wrong impression that it's only the responsibility of paid professionals. So you want to avoid paying people to do evangelism in a movement. Um, you also want to avoid bringing in outside funding uh, into a new movement that gives the impression that it's not theirs. Right. 
So when people give and contribute out of what they have to provide for the movement to grow, to provide for the outreaches that are going to take place, even if they have very little, when they give of themselves and they're giving to the movement work, um, when they're giving to the work of the Lord, they feel like it's theirs. So that builds ownership. Bringing in outside funding can kill that sense of ownership. And it may bring um, acceleration immediately. Like if you buy a motorcycle, people may be able to go. You raise money from outside to, to pay for bus fares for people to go and do evangelism. It may give um, an acceleration right now, but in the end, it could kill the momentum of the movement by demotivating people to give of their resources, to give of their time, to give of their talents, to see the movement will expand, to see that the kingdom of God's gonna grow through them and through what they are doing. That ownership really, really is affected when we bring in outside funding. So you really wanna avoid that at all costs. And um, Jean Johnson writes about this in her excellent book, We Are Not the Hero. There's lots of other good resources that she provides. I'm going to give a shout out to Jean and Five Stones Global. They talk about this a lot, how to avoid unhealthy dependency and how to build sustainability in a movement. So I want to point you to that resource. Another great book is When Helping Hurts um, that you can find that also talks about the, the difficulty and problem of of funding coming from the outside rather than coming from within. Um, I was talking with an Indian leader, his name's Mukesh, and he was telling me that at Christmas time, they buy blankets to give to the widows in their community. And I asked him, so where does that money come from? He said, our people who are a part of the movement, they give of their own earnings to love the poor around them. I said, that's awesome. That is sustainable, right? And that can grow and that reflects the heart of Jesus. So I'm not saying don't give to the poor, or don't give to do projects that um, have community impact or community development projects. But when we bring in a lot of outside money, it really has the danger of actually destroying that sense of ownership. And um, instead, uh, a lot of competition and greed and things can come in. Again, it's something I talk about um, needs uh, is a, a mindset shift in my new book. Um, and we talk about ownership above offers, right, as a new mindset that we need to embrace. Okay, so bringing in outside funding is a death factor, it can kill a movement. And I've seen it happen more than once, I could tell you story after story of the disasters of bringing in outside funding to a movement that's beginning to grow and multiply. Another death factor is sending key emerging leaders away for training. Now, again, this seems like a good idea, right? We have these leaders who are rising up. They need further training. They need to know the word of God better. Let's send them off to Bible college or let's send them to a seminary so they can learn theology and they can know more and they can lead their people well. Sounds like a great idea. Not a good idea if you want ongoing multiplication. Why? Why is that? It's because when people go outside for training, they often will come back with outside ideas of what the church should look like. They will come in as an expert 
and they're higher up than the normal people. Um, so I encourage just-in-time training and I encourage on-site training as much as possible. Um, Jesus trained people as they were with him. Uh, it was a very much an apprenticeship style of training. Now, that's not to say that people don't need to learn more about the Word of God. There's lots of correspondence courses. There's lots of online training available. They can learn and they can continue to grow and learn the Word of God and know more. But when you send people outside for training, they will definitely come back with outside ideas. And then uh, from the local people, they're not going to be seen as an insider anymore. They're seen as an expert. They're seen as a, an outsider um, from the community. And um, then other people think, in order for me to be a leader in this movement, I need to have that kind of training. So be very, very careful about sending people, even, and as a youth with a mission, a YWAMer, I'm going to say, even be careful about sending people from the movement to a discipleship training school or to a, a, a school of biblical studies and SBS, which are, are um, YWAM, amazing, really good trainings, but people from the movement going to them, you need to be careful about what that's going to communicate and the potential that has for actually um, plateauing the movement or causing a slowdown in the movement. So um, yeah, sometimes people will come back and not really fit. So that's the second thing. I would also say another death factor is fear of persecution. Or for those of us who are working in countries where there's restricted access and we're missionaries who are on visas, we have to have permission. The fear of losing your visa can actually be very contagious, right? And those that we're working with, because we're afraid of sharing the gospel, because we're afraid of losing our visa, because we're afraid maybe of persecution, if that fear starts to take root, it can really kill a movement. So we need to be careful, especially as outsiders, but even if we are insiders, that the fear of persecution does not grip our hearts. We need to be praying that God will give us boldness, that he will help us to trust him with our visa. Now, that doesn't mean you need to be stupid, um, you know, or unwise in the way that you act, but don't allow fear of persecution um, to, to be something that is contagious. Fear is contagious. But um, in Ephesians 6, 19 to 20, Paul writes, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen. We want to declare the gospel fearlessly. We want to assume that people around us have been led to us by the Holy Spirit and that he is going to protect us when we declare his word. And we want to be bold. Um, I heard David Garrison one time say, I would rather be a non-missionary resident than a, he said, I don't want to be a non-missionary resident. I would rather be a non-resident missionary than a non-missionary resident. Okay, let me say it one more time because I kind of got it wrong the first time. My apologies. But um, he said, I would rather be a non-resident missionary than a non-missionary resident. So in other words, 
if we have been called to a place to work, um, for those of us who are foreign workers, and we are not proclaiming the gospel because we're scared we're going to lose our visa and get kicked out of the country, that you know that's what Jesus sent us there to do. And um, we are not going to be able to make disciples who are bold if we are are afraid to share the gospel with others because we'll lose our visa. God will protect your visa if he wants to keep you there. And I say this with all compassion. I have lost my visa when we were in Nepal. We lost our visa and had to leave the country with our family. It was hard. But I would rather not live in that nation and be able to communicate in the ways I do now, you know, than to live there ineffectively and not able to witness for the kingdom and not able to do what God's called me to do. Um, God will keep your, your visa door open as long as he wants it open. So the risks are real. Sometimes it's not just losing your visa. It may be imprisonment. It may be, um, you know, uh, having your house burned down. It may be lots of other kinds of very real risk. But God calls us to be bold. And even Paul, when he was in chains, he said, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Um, so let's have that spirit. Don't let fear of persecution be a death factor. Here's another big one that I want to talk about before we wrap up. Um, there's just two more that I want to mention today. And one is uh, lack of focus and distractions, right? The, the good things can become the enemy of the best things. And busyness is a major, major enemy that we all must fight against, right? Um, we we need to be so careful that we we create space in our life for disciple making activities. And I know that Christian leaders, we can be so, so busy doing many, many good things that we get so busy. We don't have time for lost people. We don't have time to follow up on the people we did share with. And um, busyness is a major enemy. We lose our focus. I was just on a coaching call today with some other leaders, and we were talking about a brother who has seen some really amazing things, and God is working, and the movement is beginning, and now people see his success, and now his denominational leaders are calling him to train many people, and he's, he's being invited outside the country to speak, and he's being invited here and there to share about what's happening. And he's going to be gone for two whole months and unable to continue to train and disciple those leaders in the movement. Success can be your biggest enemy if it causes you to lose focus and it distracts you from growing that movement and really focusing on the loss and discipling disciples to make disciples. It takes time. You are going to have to have razor sharp focus and you're going to have to learn to say no very frequently, right? The more the movement grows, the more success, so to speak, that you have, the more people that are coming to Christ, the more you will be invited outside of the movement to share about it. Be careful. Say no. Say no frequently to those things that can help you, that can cause you to lose your ultimate focus on being a disciple maker. But for all of us, we have to be really, really careful what we say yes to. Um, is when we say yes to something good, we may be saying no to something that is more important and is really what our calling is. The, the last one I want to mention today as a death factor, and like I said, I can't cover all of them, but 
is when church traditions are valued more than the commands of Jesus. Church traditions are valued more than the commands of Jesus. Jesus' commands are not optional. His command to go and make disciples and teach them, baptize them and teach them to do, obey, that is not optional. The command to remember, um, to do this in remembrance of me, the Lord's Supper, the command to pray, the command to give, these things have to be held in high value and high esteem. And um, there are many church traditions that we have that are not actually found in the word of God. So when we start to value church traditions as more important than the commands of Jesus, that can kill a movement. Now, many ways we, um, we don't want to go against the flow, and we certainly want to honor and respect the traditions of churches around us. Um, but our priority is pleasing God and reaching the lost, not pleasing the traditional church, right? Um, and as it says in Romans 12, 18, we, we do our best to live at peace with everyone, but we want to place a high value on obeying the commands of Jesus and always hold everything up against that, right? Is, is this a tradition of men? Is this a tradition that humans have created? Or is this actually a command in scripture? Is this an apostolic practice? Is it something we see practiced in the Bible, but it's not necessarily something Jesus commanded us to do? So um, I always like to categorize things. These are Jesus' commands. I hold those in highest value. Then we have the, the, the apostolic practices, things that were done in the New Testament. If they were done in the New Testament, we are allowed to do those things, right? And then there's the traditions of, of, of humans that humans have created. Um, and those are of lower value. And if there's a conflict between what Jesus commanded us to do and what tradition saying to do, I'm going to go with what Jesus commanded. And we want to keep that as a high value. Um, one example of that is who can baptize, right? And many times apostolic uh, practice was that they baptized. Jesus commanded uh, that we should baptize people, right, in the Great Commission. So that's a command of Jesus. It's something that we're going to hold in high value, even when it's in contrast with some of our church traditions. So um, putting in those kinds of restrictions into the movement, like only certain people can baptize or only certain people can do the Lord's Supper or only certain people um, can be qualified to do certain things, um, that is going to restrict and cause the movement to plateau. I actually know a movement in North India that was growing rapidly. Many, many thousands of people were coming to the Lord. And then they decided to create all of these structures and all of these regulations and all of these uh, qualifications and things that programs that they were going to do. And they, they started applying those things into the movement and the movement plateaued. And almost no new growth happened for many years. And now it's beginning to turn around because the leaders have seen this and taken it seriously. But we want to be careful that those death factors don't hinder us from seeing God's kingdom grow and expand. Okay, I will be back with a wrap-up in just a minute and an action step for you. But before that, I want you to listen to this that's coming up. 
Imagine a world where passionate followers of Jesus come together to multiply, transforming lives beyond imagination. Instead of toiling with little fruit, what if God's abundance flowed beyond your wildest dreams? Picture those you've invested in sharing Jesus freely, creating a ripple effect of disciple-making. In her new book, The Multiplier's Mindset, Cynthia Anderson reveals how shifting mindsets can revolutionize disciple-making. When Cynthia and her colleagues experienced these mindset shifts, they saw enormous results including the launching of 19 multiplying movements in Africa and Asia, transforming tens of thousands of lives. This book will help you discover hidden harvesters, see church members move from passivity to passion, and release the power of simplicity in multiplying disciples. Don't remain stuck. Learn to move toward greater fruitfulness. Visit MultipliersMindset.com and get your copy of The Multipliers Mindset today. All right. We're here for our wrap-up and takeaways. Let me just recap for you for a moment. One of the things that we've learned today is about death factors. And I think it's sobering for us to realize that not all movements that begin are actually sustained. They can actually plateau or die. And that's why you hear about movements beginning and then later on someone will go back there and try to find them and they're not to be found. Um, that's because not every movement will continue to grow and be sustained. And we want to avoid these death factors. So some of the things we talked about today are paying evangelists and church planners, bringing money in from the outside. We talked about fear of persecution or fear of losing your visa and how that can be contagious, how vital bold evangelism is. We talked about busyness and lack of focus being a major enemy. Even our success and fruitfulness can be a distraction and it can lend to more distractions coming. People will offer you money to help the movement. People will offer you an opportunity to share and speak about what's happening. Be careful, my friends, be careful. Uh, careful, careful, careful that you are focused, razor sharp focused on the commands of Jesus and what he called you to do, not on um, becoming a big shot movement leader who travels all over the world raising money, right? Huge distraction and difficulty. Another thing is just learning to say no to uh, things that pull you away from the main thing, which is making disciples. Um, and then, yeah, be careful about structures, bringing in programs and systems and structures and traditions, especially traditions of men as requirements. Anything that's going to hinder multiplication, reproducibility, or even um, seeing ordinary people, the royal priests of God, be the ones who are able to continue to uh, do the work of the ministry and um, elevating those traditions and those programs as higher or more important than the simplicity of just obeying Jesus' commands. So that's our quick recap. Let me give you an action step here. I want you to take a moment just to think about, especially the area of funding and ownership and ask yourself, am I doing the things that build a sense of ownership for the multiplication of disciples and for um, this movement that's emerging? Am I doing things that build ownership? If you're in the West, I want you to think about the, the discipleship and uh, missions work that you do. 
does the missions programs that we're doing, does it build ownership in the local people? Or are we in some ways from our giving and our contributions and missions, are we actually hindering local ownership in um, disciples that are emerging in these different countries where we're working? And how, how can we be careful that um, we're not actually creating a problem rather than assisting and hindering more than we're helping in some of those missions efforts. And um, if you are uh, someone who's starting to see a movement emerge, just how can you build a greater sense of ownership, of contribution, of gifts, um, both of money and time and treasure and talent uh, into the movement rather than looking outside the movement for those things? Um, and as you think about that and pray about that, I know that God is going to give you wisdom. God bless you guys. We'll see you in the next episode in a week or so. Have a wonderful week as you go and make and multiply disciples in your area. God bless. That's all we've got for this episode of the Dare to Multiply podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at dmmsfrontiermissions.com slash blog on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, God's dreams for us are always bigger than we can imagine.